to the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. I'm your podcast host, Jonathan Warner, and today we have a special guest. It is Kevin Sweeney uh, of CBB Central and now Sports Illustrated. Kevin, congrats on getting that job, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, man. It's it's exciting stuff that I'll be able to, to to contribute a little bit to Sports Illustrated over the next couple months. You know, very excited about it, and you know, excited to hop on this show because you've you've been having some some big time guests. I saw Doster was on here, Eric Haslam. So you're you're pulling in the big fish. So I, I feel like the little guy in the room all of a sudden. Well, I, I think in terms of Twitter following amongst the uh, last few guests, you're probably middle of the pack, and that that's, that's tough. Although I guess compared to kind of the earlier parts of the show when uh, you were the by far biggest guest I had on the show. So I guess it's a bit of a difference. But Yeah, I set the foundation for you. You know, I'll take yeah. all the credit for your success. It's it's all me. It, it's it's all Kevin. That's why the show is uh, taking off a little bit here throughout the season. Uh, so without further ado, uh, let's get into the actual college basketball talk, and we're going to start John Beeline getting fired by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, it was made official, I believe, yesterday, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, now the big rumor on the street is he's going to be returning to college basketball. He left a lot of money on the table to get fired, and so it does seem like a college basketball return would be likely. Uh, what programs do you think are most likely to land Beeline, uh, aside from the obvious one, which is probably Texas? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different factors at play here because, for one, in terms of programs you're looking at, it's heavily dependent on the FBI investigation and what that yields. And and not only, uh, I guess it's not really FBI at this point, but it's more the NCAA. And, you know, what jobs could potentially open up because of that this offseason We'll see. So that would obviously create an opportunity, but at the same time, any program that has such a such a significant, um, you know, penalty that the coach is either leaving or is fired, also is likely they're going to get some kind of postseason ban. I don't think that Beeline would want to be a part of that. So that's that's one factor we have to deal with in this. The other factor is, on paper, not a lot of great jobs are going to open up outside of Texas. You've got Wake Forest, which owes Danny Manning still like a bazillion dollars. You've got DePaul, which has an incompetent athletic director. You have, you know, Boston College, which is probably the worst job in its league. Like, there's not a lot of jobs that are guaranteed to open up right now, and even even those jobs I listed aren't guaranteed to open up. Like, Jim Christian, for all the hate he gets, and, like, I don't think it's going anywhere, like, they're winning a lot of games that they probably shouldn't be winning. Uh, so it's going to be a really interesting spot. There is no clear answer other than Texas right now that makes any sense. Um, I personally enjoy the uh, the theory that that Kansas could be a spot for him if Bill Self were to walk away in the aftermath of all of this potential NCAA life stuff, and you know, he could go to the NBA and Beeline could take his place for a couple of years. I could see that happening, but again, it's early in the process. I do think he's going to want to coach. Um, another factor at play, obviously, would also be his son Patrick, who is the uh, but a, a brief stint. And Niagara never actually coached the game there, but was kind of seen as a rising star in terms of on the court and then uh, had to step away from that job for personal reasons. Uh, so it could be an opportunity for, for John to rehab his son's image uh, in the college basketball landscape by having him on staff for a couple of years. So there's a number of factors here that we hit the way. I do not think John Beeline wants to go out like this, 
but at the same time, I'm not sure what job really will open this offseason that makes the most sense for him. Yeah, I think the pretty obvious one is, of course, Texas. Uh, you do have all the resources in the world. You're pretty close to a recruiting base. Uh, warm weather, I guess, is another factor. If you need that, Michigan and Cleveland have been kind of cold weather cities. Uh, you don't get the quite cold weather city with uh, Texas, uh, so that could be a factor in play if he wants warm weather uh, in the off season. Just a lot of signs pointing to Texas, obviously with Shaka Smart and Texas being an absolute dumpster fire this year, uh, being one of the worst teams in the Big 12, and uh, probably going to miss the NCAA tournament for, an, I believe, yeah, second straight season and third time in four years. That job just doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And you've got some other jobs that, I mean, I guess with the FBI investigation, you never know what job may open up, like an LSU or an Arizona, I guess, could open up, Kansas, you mentioned. But given that, I think Texas is pretty clearly the in the driver's seat to land B1. I would agree right now. And it's also a case of does Texas want Beeline, right? Like, as great a coach as John Beeline is, you're hiring a, you know, 67-year-old guy who says he doesn't want to coach into his 70s. Maybe he'll change that tune and do one five-year deal, but he's not the guy you're building around and having forever. And quite frankly, John Beeline is not a guy that you're going to bring into a program, have him land four or five star recruits and all of a sudden just win right away. Like he's a guy who has to build his culture, who has to get in his guys and develop them over multiple years. So, you know, it's, it's a weird spot to be in if you're a program like Texas, where I don't think it's as guaranteed to work and work quickly as I think people think, uh, with, with Beeline. Now, I think if you're looking for institutional fits, Beeline kind, Beeline would kind of align with Texas if, if, if you like the Michigan aspect of being, you know, the second program at a football school. I kind of like Wake Forest as an institutional fit. You know, he worked at Richmond. He's worked at some smaller schools as well. So he kind of understands a school with maybe a little bit more academic, uh, rigor. Michigan even has some, some academic standards as well. Um, so it'll be interesting. I, I don't know if Wake Forest is going to even open. Um, but at this point, Texas has to be seen as the favorite just because there's really no other answer. But I've said from the start, I don't love the Texas fit for either party. Uh, so, so we'll see where it goes. It's just a challenge where he's old enough where I don't know how much he can afford to sit out a year because especially if he doesn't want to coach that much longer. So uh, very weird spot to be in, but certainly a, a major name in the coaching business who will be on the market and, you know, certainly throw wrenches into the, um, really the entirety of, of the college basketball coaching carousel this uh, this spring. Yeah, and there's a lot of different factors that could go in it. You know, maybe Texas does decide they want to give Shaka Smart another year, which I don't think would be smart, but sure. Uh, then Beeline obviously is not going to get the Texas job, or maybe Texas goes out and pays $10 million a year to – get Chris Beard to coach at Texas, then obviously you're not going to get beeline in that instance. Uh, but it does appear Texas would be the most likely landing spot. Moving on, get, get into your specialty, which is mid-majors. Which mid-majors do you think can win a game or two in the NCAA tournament? I'll give you 
five will go individually, uh, starting with the Yale Bulldogs, who are dominating the Ivy League. Yeah, I do think so. This is a Yale team that, honestly, I was a little bit skeptical about preseason. I just wasn't sure they'd have the guard play necessary. Um, but, you know, Paul Atkinson has stepped up and, and really formed one of, if not the best front courts in college basketball with Jordan Bruner. Uh, and then uh, Azar Swain has really taken that step forward into that primary scoring role in the backcourt. Uh, and then they just have a bunch of guys that really understand their roles. Guys like Eric Monroe, uh, who's, you know, a ball mover type of point guard. Uh, you know, a, a guy like Jalen Gabadon, who, who's hit some threes for them. Matthew Cotton as well. So, you know, they're, they're a team that isn't super deep, doesn't necessarily wow you in the layup line, but they're, they're very talented. They're very well coached and, uh, they understand how to win. They've, they've played close games against high major schools. Um, they went on the road and probably should have beaten Penn State earlier this season. Uh, went on, went on the road and had Carolina right where they wanted them as well. So, uh, you know, really like this Yale team. Obviously matchup dependent, but that's not a team that I would want to deal with if I were a, a four seed or a five seed. Yeah, definitely not a team that any four or five seed would want to play come NCAA tournament. You know, going in after last year, they lose me Aoni to the draft, uh, lose a couple seniors. Kind of looked like a rebuilding year. Looked like Harvard was just going to dominate the Ivy League. And here comes Yale, consistent as always, just running through the league, uh, rampage. Six and two in the league. So have dropped a couple games, but they're still looking really good and look like a team that I think can definitely win a game or two in the NCAA tournament this year. Next mid major is Liberty uh, out of the Atlantic Sun. Obviously a hot topic with them being uh, political affiliations first being and then the 24 and 3 record that, you know, is kind of deceiving because they have really not beaten anyone other than Vanderbilt this year uh, and lost their lone tough game to LSU. But still a team with a good record and coming off of a year where they beat Mississippi State in the tournament and returned a lot of players. Do you think this Liberty team is a team that can once again win a game or two in the NCAA tournament this year? I believe so because they're they're very they're they're like Virginia light. That's always been something that uh Richie McKay has mentioned and obviously he's told me on, on my podcast over the summer he said that, you know, we don't want to just be like Virginia. Like, we're Liberty. We're not we're not UVA. I'm not Tony Bennett. But the similarities all over, all over the place, and you know this team has the shooting to beat you in a in a tournament setting, especially with their defense. You know, again, it's going to take them probably hitting ten threes to beat a a high major team. And you know, if you look at the LSU game, I know the final score uh, indicated I think they lost by seventeen in that ball game, but Liberty was in that game most of the way, and they just couldn't hit enough shots to really get back in it. Uh, Liberty shot eight for twenty-five from three, only forty-one percent from the field as a whole. And Liberty and LSU really a bad matchup for Liberty because they are just so athletic. Uh, and I thought that I thought that Liberty, you know, still still has the ability. You know, they can really shoot the basketball. Caleb Holmesley is is a terrific wing who can really score at three levels. And Scotty James, one of the more efficient post players in college basketball. So I do think if they get the right matchup, they have a shot to win one. Um, it's unfortunate they have no at-large case, really, after that one bad weekend uh, when they lost to North Florida and Stetson. They could have probably afforded one of those. They couldn't afford both. Uh, and so it's probably 
ace on tournament or bust, but uh, in control today against North Florida. So that certainly helps as well. Yeah, I think Liberty, if they get the right matchup, could definitely win a game. Uh, I was looking at, you know, potential matchup. If Creighton kind of falters down the stretch uh, and, you know, has a game where they just don't make any shots, I think they could maybe beat Creighton because they match up a little bit athletically, but Creighton just a little bit more skilled. But let's say shots don't fall for Creighton and, you know, Liberty kind of slows the game down to a tempo they like. I could definitely see that being a 5-12-4-13 matchup that uh, ends in an upset this year. Uh, the next mid-major I'm looking at is Colgate. Uh, Colgate is returning a lot of talent from a team that nearly beat Tennessee and ran through uh, their league last year. I think this Colgate team is good. Do you think they're good enough to win an NCAA tournament game, though? I don't personally love this Colgate team as like a, a potential win a game in the tournament type team. I think part of that will be seeding. I don't necessarily know that they get up to the 13 line, which is that, that magic number to have a much better shot. I just think they're not big enough or athletic enough up front and they can you know, really get overwhelmed in a game against a, a big athletic physical team. Uh, we also saw them struggle against high majors this season um, got blown out by Syracuse and Auburn in November. So I'm not necessarily a huge believer. I do like them. They're a lot of fun. Jordan Burns is one of the more electric guards in college basketball. And then obviously they have, uh, you know, plenty of skill up front. Guys like Rap Ivanowskis and Will Raymond who can put in ball screens and really make, make, make themselves really difficult to guard. Um, but that said, I just think uh, they don't match up well enough where unless they just shoot the lights out, uh, they're going to find a way to win a tournament game. So uh, I'll say no uh, on Colgate, unfortunately. I love what Matt Langle's done there. But honestly, don't be surprised if they go down in the conference tournament. I, I've been kind of beating this drum for a few days now, but uh, Loyola, Maryland is 5-1 and one since they got Santi Aldama back, the uh, outstanding Spanish forward who's a top 75 recruit out of high school, or not high school, out of pros in, in Spain. Uh, he's a guy who can really be a matchup problem at six foot eleven. He can stretch the floor, uh, and they beat this Colgate team on uh, just this past Sunday. So I really like this Loyola team. Now that they're getting going. They're going to be dangerous in that conference tournament. So uh, that battle will be pretty fun to watch. Yeah, I think with this Colgate team on paper they look pretty good, and you know on the court they also look pretty good. But they're also you know going against the a little bit inferior teams in the Patriot League, which is a good mid-major league, but not great by any means, uh, to say the least. Uh, so kind of like a talent disadvantage, or if they get into like a 5 or 15-2 matchup with, let's say, Florida State, that would be a scenario where they would probably go down early, but they could potentially hang in a game or make it interesting at least. Right. They basically would need to do what happened uh, last year against Tennessee, where Jordan Burns just goes off for a bit, keeps him in the game for a while, and ideally have Ivanowskis out there, which he was injured in that game. Uh, I think I didn't like an eye scratch or something ridiculous like that. Uh, so if he was out there, it might have helped them just hang around a little bit longer on the inside. Okay, the next team – going to talk about is the Wabs favorite Stephen F. Austin who beat Duke earlier this year uh, if they can beat Duke can they win a game in the NCAA tournament 
I think so, and it, it's it's somewhat the same argument that I would have as Liberty having, um, even though uh, they play such different styles. It's the fact that they play such a unique brand of basketball. You know, this team I believe forces more turnovers or forces turnovers at a higher rate. Uh, than any team in college basketball. Um, they really sell out for those turnovers. And what it does is it gives them a lot of opportunities in transition. Uh, the, the Duke upset was almost a perfect storm because uh, for those of you that watch a lot of Duke, you know that they're susceptible to giving up a lot of leak outs. That's always been something Coach K has has given up because they crashed the glass so hard. So Stephen F. Austin was pressuring like crazy. And then those turnovers happen underneath the basket, just like what happened on the game winning layup. And, uh, they're just breaking free and running running around like wide receivers out there trying to catch long passes. So, you know, they have a star in Kevon Harris who's really, really electric. Uh, I'm not sure they have enough size, but you would have said that about about them before they played Duke as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to take big, big effort, but their style really bothers you in a number of ways. And I think uh, if, if they if they play a team, especially one that isn't necessarily that that steady with their ball handling, they could be in for a real nightmare. Yeah, I think Steve F. Austin, if they get the right matchup, could definitely uh, get or push a team in the NCAA tournament and potentially win a game. Uh, if not two, I think they're right now. I have them projected as a 13 seed. So if you maybe get like a Creighton on an off shooting night, or uh, you get matchup with looking at uh, four seeds, maybe West Virginia, that team. Would well, probably dominate inside, but could be a scenario where they just don't make any shots, and uh, or maybe they force some turnovers and you know get a couple leak out and leaks out and uh, you know score on the offensive end. Well, that was the uh, the matchup, and obviously West Virginia isn't pressing as much as they used to, but. Uh, that was the matchup a couple of years back where, where Stephen F. Austin was able to take advantage in a 3-14 game. I projected that upset like no one else did, and I was basically like, they're going to neutralize each other's strength. So we'll see what happens and, and see if one team can just kind of wear the other down, and Stephen F. Austin was able to uh, behind an awesome performance by Thomas Walkup. So obviously a different coach and a bit of a different system. Uh, Kyle Keller's defensive philosophy is is actually fairly different from Brad Underwood, even though they both really – relied on forcing turnovers. Underwoods is more of a full-court defense where, um, you know, Kyle Kelly's really relies more on half-court ball pressure. But I do think a lot of the same principles kind of come into play against a team like West Virginia that is shaky with the basketball. So I would say that would be an ideal matchup, again, uh, for uh, the Lumberjacks. Last team wanted to touch on here was Murray State. Uh, they're leading the Ohio Valley once again at 10-2 and in the league. Tevin Brown's kind of taken that step forward. Do you think this Murray State team is a team that could potentially win a game or two in the NCAA tournament this year? No, I don't really buy it. I think they've been a beneficiary of a very weak Ohio Valley Conference um, this season in particular. Um, you know, the OVC is 29th this year in Ken Palm's conference rankings. Outside of Belmont, Austin P, and Murray State, there's really just no meat on the bone. I, I, I just don't, I don't think they've been tested enough. Uh, and, and I, I just don't know that they have the guy, obviously Tevin Brown's a really fun shot maker, but, um, the way they were able to win a game last year was, was obviously just jaw dominating and what Ja brought the rest of the team in terms of the attention, um, that he brought, 
uh, on himself really opened up things up for everyone else. I don't think they have that guy this season. Uh, Darnell Coward being out has not helped because he was a he was a really nice post presence that they could feed the ball to down low. Uh, so yeah, I just think this team is seems like a 14 or a 15 seed that you know you're going to see the name if you're a three seed and go uh oh, but I'm not sure that this is a team that that is going to really scare a high major team and. Uh, they didn't really show that in the non-conference either. In their only game, they got kind of handled by Tennessee. Yeah, it kind of been taking advantage of a weak schedule this year. Uh, you mentioned the Tennessee game. They were kind of in that game for a while, and then Tennessee just blew the doors off them. Uh, I guess they've lost to Evansville, which I guess Kentucky lost to them, so A1 can lose to them, but Evansville is not a good team at this point in the season. Just kind of taking advantage of the weak Ohio Valley's kind of why their record is as good as it is this year. Tevin Brown is definitely a high-level scorer, and I think if you get him to stay around one more year, I believe he's a junior, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, he's a redshirt sophomore, I believe. Okay, so yeah, if you get him to stay around for another year. Murray State, I think, would be kind of a team to be a tournament threat next year. But this year, without Cowart, Tevin Brown still, he's not quite developed as a mid-major stud yet. I think this is probably a team that maybe doesn't win a game in the NCAA tournament like it did last year. Yeah, I would 100% agree. Next point I wanted to bring up here is the Merrimack rule, which is uh, you have to wait four years to get into the NCAA tournament. Merrimack, of course, dominating their league uh, this year, probably would be the team to beat in their league tournament. If, But, of course, they don't get to compete in that, and they don't get to make the NCAA tournament. What, what's your uh, thoughts on the Merrimack rule where – you're basically not allowed to make the NCAA tournament in your first four years of being a D1 school. It was always one of those rules that was just there and you never really questioned it because A, it didn't matter for the most part, and B, like, for the most part, it just seemed like, oh, yeah, that's just what the rule is. You have to sit out four years because you don't want teams jumping up and down. And in theory, that makes sense. But in practice, when you have a team that is – clearly competitive in year one, I think, why not let the kids play, right? I mean, that's that should be the mindset of the NCAA is to to open it up and, and provide opportunity. And obviously, you know, they're not going to change the precedent for one situation, but uh, I think this is a good opportunity to force the NCAA to reflect a little bit on this policy moving forward um, because Merrimack has obviously been a big surprise. I do think uh, – I, I, I'm not sure they're the best team in the NAC. I, I really like them. You know, I've been a big, big believer in Merrimack from the jump. Uh, you know, I had Coach Gallo on my podcast this summer and you know, really enjoyed chatting with him about all the intricacies of, of moving up, and hopefully I'll get a chance to speak with him again this summer. Um, but I think, you know, their, 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 their defense is so unique that it was really hard to deal with them the first time through the season. I think they'll start to regress a little bit in the last couple of games, but certainly a massive success, especially if they can get to 20 wins, and they're going to play in the CBI of the CIT. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching them. Uh, in the CBI or CIT uh, because they're a really fun team in the Northeast. And I, I think it's 
the rule itself, yeah, you mentioned it usually doesn't apply. I guess Grand Canyon a few years ago when they were making the transition, people kind of talked about it, but really doesn't become a big story until it's a team that's actually good like this Merrimack team. Yeah, 100%. And it's just, uh, I almost think it's better for them that they're, I mean, it's obviously not better for the kids. Like, the kids are never going to think this is, like, good and cool. But in some ways, it's beneficial for Merrimack because it brings a lot of attention to their program, right? Like, almost every time they win now, there's a tweet of, oh, look, Merrimack uh, won again. They're really good, and they're not eligible. And I don't even know if it would be the story that it is if they were were eligible. So, obviously, things going in the right direction for that program. I'm excited to see what Coach Gallo does with them. Uh, because they're recruiting really well. Obviously, they're they're a veteran team this year, but they've got some younger guys who've played big minutes this season who are going to be special. Uh, Jordan Miner was a guy that I saw in their second game when they came to Northwestern. I was broadcasting that game for WNUR Sports, and you know Jordan Miner looked like a a Big Ten recruit. Like Jordan Miner was playing against Jared Jones, who is Northwestern center recruit, um, who is their Northwestern's backup center, and. Jordan Miner just looked better than Jared Jones that day. Like he he's athletic. He can you know finish around the basket. You know, he's going to be a guy that as he develops is going to be really really fun to watch. Ziggy Reed, another guy that I know they're very high on. So uh, obviously they'll lose Hayes after this year. They'll lose I just Joiner, who is an impactful player as well. But I think the direction is really positive, and they're continuing to recruit really well with a good class coming in uh, in 2020. So uh, definitely bright things ahead, and that defense will travel no matter what they play this you know, extended 2-3 zone that um, really forces you into uh, into drives. It's kind of unique in that sense because most zones are forcing you to take threes. They're so extended that it's really trying to run you off the three-point line, and it's been super successful. Yeah, and, you know, they beat Northwestern when they were undefeated. North, Northwestern could be an NCAA tournament team had they won that game. Willie Werner, baby, don't sleep. Don't sleep on him. Next point, wanted to bring up, going back to the high major, and it is with Rutgers. They've kind of been skidding here of late, lost to Michigan last night. Now 9-7 and seven in league, and three of their last four games are on the road with the lone home game coming against Maryland. So this is a Rutgers team that could be skidding towards uh, missing the NCAA tournament this year. Do you think they still find a way to make the NCAA tournament. I kind of have it projected if they win one of these last four, they're probably in pretty good shape. Uh, but do you think they can do that and uh, get into the big dance? I do think they'll find a way. I mentioned this in our Rockin' 25 chat earlier today, but um, Rutgers this year feels very, very reminiscent to me of the Northwestern team that had never made the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. And obviously I wasn't a fan of the team at the time. I was actually the year before I arrived here in Evanston, but um, just a similar vibe where no one really believed in them early in the year. And all of a sudden they beat one, a couple more games. And it's like, all right, this is happening. Then they had a bit of a late season tumble and then they needed one more win. They beat Michigan on that, of course, heroic shot by uh, Derek Parton off the heave. Um, We'll try and storm the court, et cetera. I mean, that was that was a, a terrific moment, one of the better moments, I think, of the decade in, in college basketball. And I think Rutgers is in a similar spot where they just need one. They're going to feel so much pressure every game because they know the history they're working against. But I do think they find a way to steal one of these games. And whether that's the Maryland game at home, which 
Uh, I know they competed most of the way against the Terps at Xfinity Center earlier this season. Maybe they go to Wisconsin or Purdue, even Penn State. Like I think they're all winnable games for for, for this Rutgers team. We've seen them really play uh, play well, especially at home. And and I think the road struggles are a bit overblown because. Quite frankly, they play a lot of close games on the road. They lost by five to Maryland. They lost by six to Ohio State. They lost by five to Iowa. They lost by three to Illinois. Like, they just haven't been able to find a way to finish one. I do think they'll get one more. They will get to the tournament, and uh, Steve Peichel will be laughing all the way to the bank. You stole my point. I was going to bring up the three-point loss to Illinois, the five-point loss to Iowa, and the uh, close loss to Maryland, Uh and Ohio State. I was going to bring up those losses, but you stole my points, Sweeney. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I do think their upcoming schedule, they beat Penn State already this season. That could be maybe an upset type situation. Penn State has been playing a little bit above their heads this entire season. You could maybe see a letdown game for Penn State. Wisconsin, we know, is completely inconsistent. Same with Purdue. And Maryland, Mark Turgeon, I guess he's winning road games this year, but he usually doesn't win road games. And with them only needing to win probably one of those games just to get into the NCAA tournament, I do think it is probably likely that you end up seeing Rutgers in the NCAA tournament, despite the uh, current concern of them losing out and probably at that point not making the NCAA tournament. We obviously have to remember the Big Ten tournament opportunity that they'll have and so much of that will be dependent on seeding. But I could almost see a, a circumstance where it would be beneficial for Rutgers to drop a little bit more so they get a favorable matchup in their in their first Big Ten tournament game because it might be a quantity of wins type situation for them. So, like, if Rutgers were to drop and maybe wind up at the 11 spot and get to play Northwestern in their first game, the difference between that and playing, like, Michigan in their first game as, like, a, in like a 7-10 game, let's say, is not very large. Um, in terms of like the, the hopes of seeding, but beating Northwestern would just be one extra win and then they would play like a six seed. So it really wouldn't change their outlook of like the team they'd play in the next round, but they'd get a chance for an extra easy win. So I could see that being a potential benefit uh, for Rutgers if they were to drop that far. I'm not sure that they will. It would take uh, some other teams really finding, finding their stride late. Purdue and, Purdue and Indiana would have to win a couple games, but uh, it's possible that they could drop to that 11 spot. Uh, and that would obviously be interesting to see how the committee deals with a you know, paper win against a bad Northwestern team. Are we sure Rutgers wants to face Northwestern? They just about lost to them earlier this year before your uh, Wildcats kind of collapsed down the stretch in that one. Oh, believe me, Northwestern will find a way to lose to whoever they play. Like, this isn't debatable. I would say yeah, Rutgers... inflate the net. I mean, we'll see. I think the argument for not playing Northwestern is that if they lose their toast... Or if for for playing Northwestern, if they were to, or for not playing Northwestern, would be if they lost to Northwestern, they'd be toast. But the uh, argument for playing them is that if they win, it's an extra win that might help them get in. So I think they'll be okay. Like I said, they're going to win one of these next four and get into the tournament. But they're going to sweat it a little bit. And I, I got to tell you what, if I was a Rutgers fan right now, I'd be sweating bullets. It, it although before the season, if you asked any Rutgers fan. You're sweating bullets to make the NCAA tournament. They would take it 100 oh. times out of 100. Oh, for sure. Moving on, I'm going to give you the option to pick four teams to win the NCAA tournament. What four teams are your teams this year? This is this is a tough question. Um, I think you got to take Baylor 
Kansas and Duke off the bat. The combination of experience and talent uh, for those three teams, I think, gives you an edge. So the fourth, the East answers Gonzaga. I wouldn't hate it. I'm not sure there's an easy. I'm not sure there's a better answer, quite frankly. So I think that'll be my four. It's very boring. I apologize, uh, but I think that if if you were to say give me four versus the field, it has to be them. I'm not sure there's a great argument for a team like Dayton or San Diego State as much as they're fun to watch. I think if you if you said rank the top four championship contenders, it's those four. Yeah, I I, I have I do not have Duke in my four teams personally. I went with Maryland over Duke. Uh, I just think Maryland has a little bit more consistency. They know what they're doing late. Anthony Cowan has been really good this year, and Jalen Smith I think is the best player. In that matchup, it is Mark Turgeon though. So I was gonna say it's Turgeon versus K. That that's that's a tough one, but I trust Maryland on paper and Aaron Wiggins not scoring ten points is the deal breaker. If he scores ten points, get, give me the field. But if he scores less than that, Maryland all day any day. I think the other three, Baylor, Gonzaga, Kansas, at this point are kind of the other three teams that you would basically have to put there. Kansas just really good overall, especially defensively, and they're starting to make a little bit more shots. Baylor defensively is really good. Jared Butler's an elite shot maker, especially late in the shot clock. Uh, you've got Davion Mitchell, Mark Vidal, Frey Gillespie, all really good defenders. Just a Really solid Baylor team. And then Gonzaga, this is assuming Killian Tilly stays healthy because I do think they need him to be healthy to win games in the NCAA tournament. But if he can be on the court, this Gonzaga team certainly has maybe the highest ceiling of any of the teams. Yeah, I can buy that for sure. I mean, they're, they are really, really good. And, uh, with the way that Joel AI has played, you know, he's the guard that, that gives them a chance to, to really compete for a national title. I think when, when you look at a team that, that is vulnerable because of their guard play of that group of th- the four that we mentioned, uh, and then add Maryland as well. So five, I mean, I think Gonzaga, you would say is the worst guards on paper, but they're all experienced guys. They know how to play uh, obviously the front court really good and Mark Q a terrific coach. So, it's hard to lean either way. I tend to trust point guards in March, and I think that, that that's where I would question it a little bit with Gonzaga. Obviously, Woolridge has been very, very solid, but uh, I'm not sure he stands on the same level as a Devon Dotson or a Trey Jones or an Anthony Cowan. So it's a, it's a terrific, terrific question, terrific test, and I think uh, it's as open for Gonzaga as it's ever been for them to go win a championship, even if it's not their best roster yet. Uh, and we'll we'll see if they can get it done this year. Yeah, if they bring back Rui and Clark, uh, this is a Gonzaga team I think is running away with the NCAA tournament because they just have more talent at that point. But that's a hypothetical world, and still without them, Gonzaga has a definitely a good shot to win the NCAA title this year. Well, think about it though. Like obviously expected Rui was going to go pro, but. I don't think if you were playing out well in advance, you would have said that that Brandon Clark was going to leave, that he, he probably would have stayed one more year. So obviously he was getting older, but I don't think anyone saw his emergence to the prospect coming quite like this. So 
you know, that's 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 a piece that that's tough. And we joke, we we talk all the time on our podcast about how um, unexpected draft departures can derail a program. It certainly hasn't derailed Gonzaga, um, but it's it's not hard to question where they might be with him. Yeah, and it's the other end of it. You get a team like Kansas. Devon Dotson probably was heading pro, and then all of a sudden decides to come back last minute. Imagine Kansas without him this year. Yeah, I mean that would have been probably an unexpected draft departure from a recruiting standpoint, and they would have been, you know, really screwed at point guard. Like, who's their backup point guard? If I you think would... it's it's Marcus Garrett, right? But, but he's not a point guard. Yeah. If you made a like play he... point guard for thirty minutes a game, they'd be screwed. And they had Isaac yeah. McBride coming in, like he never wound up playing a game. He's headed to Vanderbilt, so. Yeah, they would have been in trouble. And I, I said that at the time, like with when the Grimes and Dotson decisions were having happening, I was like, Kansas with Dotson and a couple more pieces could be like the best team in the country without Dotson. And they also maybe not get some pieces. They could be not even a top 25 team. So it's been a ma- massive swing that he was able to come back for one more year. Yeah, the chips broke the right way for them uh, from that standpoint. Moving on, going to get into some game picks for this weekend's game. Not going to get the podcast going an hour and a half like the CBBS Central podcast does, but we can maybe eke this out to an hour. Uh, let's start, though, with Kansas at Baylor. Uh, this is a, obviously the matchup of the weekend. Uh, you've got Kansas writing a win streak that they – both these teams have lost a combined one time in Big 12 play. Uh, Kansas, the lone loss coming to Baylor earlier this year. I'll go with Kansas in this game. I kind of have this being a revenge spot for Kansas. And plus you give Bill Self extra days to prepare. I would tend to think he has something up his sleeve. So give me Kansas. Interested to hear your thoughts for this game. Yeah, everything logically says Kansas wins this game. They'll be motivated. Um, they're, they're playing terrific, terrific basketball right now. Um, but my heart's just going to say Baylor and they're going to find a way once again. I think that the defensive style that, that Baylor plays presents a lot of challenges for Kansas in a similar way that Texas Tech did. Obviously, uh, if you're, you're an Texas nose junkie, you probably have watched, uh, Hoop Vision from Jordan Sperber, his video on, on Baylor's defense and, and the similarities and differences to Texas Tech's from last year, but the same no middle concept. I think that, that playing that style makes it a lot more difficult to incorporate a big guy like Udoka Azabuki. Uh, and so I think as a result, Baylor does find a way to win this one. Uh, despite all the other logic that would indicate that Kansas is probably the better team, certainly the more talented team. Uh, I think Baylor does find a way on their home court. Yeah. The, the big thing is what team kind of has their guards making shots. The first matchup, Baylor made basically all the shots late in shot clock, uh, and Kansas didn't quite have a good shooting night. If it goes reverse, Kansas is probably going to win, uh, but it'll be interesting to see who comes out shooting it well. Do we get like a 15-point performance from Isaiah Moss or something? Does uh, Davion Mitchell drop six threes? We, we don't know this why they play the games, but if that happens, either one of those teams finds a way to win the game. Agreed. Moving on, the next game is Marquette at Brad's Providence Friars. 
I will lean Providence to win this game. I think they're a little bit more. Uh, they're playing a little bit better. Marquette's kind of been struggling. Plus, you're playing at the dunk, so you got the home court advantage. Give me a red hot Providence team. Yes, yeah, is a big one. Uh, Providence continues to try to build a resume, and I, I, I think that I'm going to take Marquette here. I just don't think Providence has been consistent enough with their shot making um, to, to really string together wins. And this is a game that, with the athleticism of, of Marquette, I think that will cause Providence some problems offensively. And uh, Marquette finds a way with Marcus Howard to to win on the road and put a, a dent in Providence's tournament hopes. But the Friars have a shot, and that's all you can ask for if you're you're a fan of the team, given how the season started. They have six quadrant one wins now, um, and they've got a slate at home with a chance to do it. So uh, we'll see if they can finish it off. I'm going to pick Marquette here, but I wouldn't be surprised either way. Providence basically has to win this game because if they don't, they're basically putting themselves in a hole where they have to win at Villanova, beat Xavier, beat DePaul and then probably win games in the Big East tournament to uh, make it to the big dance. This this win would go a long way for the Friars if they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Totally. It's a, it's a season changer. I mean, they have the wins. At, at this point, it's more just getting to a quantity of wins because – I don't necessarily think they need to build their resume any further. They have the they have the good wins necessary. It's just they have to make sure they don't have too many losses. Yeah, and I think if, if they get to if they're at fourteen losses come end of season, I think that's a you know forgivable amount of losses. The and it would come with a quantity of wins that would help them get on the right side of the bubble. But if you know they lose this game, lose to Villanova. Entering with 15 losses, maybe a 17 or 18 and 15 record. I think at that point the Friars are probably in IT bound. Moving on, yes. next game is Michigan at Purdue. Uh, this one should be interesting to see. Michigan has been playing a little bit better. Still don't know if Isaiah Livers will play or not. We're still a little bit out from the game actually taking place, given it is still Thursday. Uh, if he plays, I think I'd take Michigan on the road, uh, but never bet against Purdue and Mackey, so it could be an either-way type of game. Yeah, if Mackey-Purdue shows up, Purdue's going to win, and I'm going to say that they do show up, so I'll pick, uh, I'll pick Purdue. Two teams I really don't know how to feel about, you know what I mean? Like... Every time I think we know something about one of them, uh, they they have an inexplicable performance. So Purdue really needs this one to, to get to the NCAA tournament. I think they'll come out locked in. They'll find a way to win this game and, and keep the bubble jumbled a little bit in the Big Ten. Because they lose this one, I think you start really looking down the, the barrel of missing the tournament for the Boilermakers. Yeah, Purdue's right now not eligible under the Shaka Smart rule uh, in my bracketology at 14 and 13 overall. They need to get probably three games above 500 to get to the NCAA tournament. Obviously, winning this one would go a long way in that department. Next game here is Villanova at Xavier. Xavier's a team right now kind of safely on the bubble while Villanova is doing Villanova things, just hanging around the Big East race uh, at 9-4. and four. 
still game back in the loss column of Seton Hall at this point in time, but certainly if they're able to pick up this win, Villanova would have a chance to kind of run the table and get a share of the Big East title this year. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a really interesting game because Xavier is kind of the anti-Villanova this season where they're just thumping you inside. They don't have great guards, but um, guys like Fremantle and Tyreek Jones, along with obviously Najee Marshall, one of the more uh, versatile players in the country, uh, that that really makes it a matchup problem for a team like Villanova that wants to play small and wants to play a guy like Robinson Earl at the five. Uh, I do think you know, Villanova wins this game, but certainly a game that Xavier could really, really use. Yeah, Xavier really needs this one. Tyreek Jones on a daily is good for at least 15 rebounds. That's just the amount of locked in he is on crashing the glass at this point in the season. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. One of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Moving on, next game, Florida State uh, at NC State. Still don't know if Devin Vassell will play. Uh, He missed the last Saturday's game. Uh, so we'll see if he plays, but NC State coming off a huge win last night at Duke. I think this is a prime letdown spot, though, for NC State, so give me the Knowles to win on the road and stay in the ACC race. Oh, yeah, as soon as as NC State tells you they're back in the tournament, they'll lose a game that they shouldn't lose. So this game is a game they probably should lose on paper, at least it's a 50-50 game, uh, they're going to find a way to lose this one. You know, and, and that that, law, that win over Duke is almost more frustrating if you're an NC State fan because it means all of the dumb losses to Boston College and Georgia Tech, they now really hurt. You know, it's one thing if you just don't have a great year. When you beat Duke, you give yourself a shot again, and then you're looking back, you're like, oh, I got these deadweight losses on my resume. Like, that really, really, really hurts. So I'm going to say Florida State wins this game, which because I really don't like this NC State team. I don't, I'm not a huge believer I do think they missed the tournament, and that said, if they they win this game, they're in very, very good shape. Yeah, and with NC State's losses, like early in the season, you lose to Georgia Tech without Markel Johnson. So be it. Uh, You lose to Memphis. Memphis was playing well. They didn't have Wiseman, but they had basically everyone else. Not a terrible loss. Lose to Auburn. Not a bad loss. But then you start getting into conference play. You lose at Clemson, you get blown out by Virginia Tech, uh, Georgia Tech, North Carolina at home. Uh, These losses just keep adding up for NC State. I'll take Florida State to win on the road. I think I already said that, but prime letdown spot for NC State. Totally. Next game, Florida at Kentucky. Florida has been sneaky pretty good recently. I don't think they have enough to win at Kentucky, though. Uh, This Florida team still don't know if I can trust Florida at this point in the season. Oh, no trust for Florida. None whatsoever. Rupp, tough place to play, obviously. And, again, it's just not a Florida team that that has come out with any sort of consistency this season to indicate to me uh, why I should should have any faith that they win this game. So I'm going to say Kentucky would be a game that Florida could, could use as a clincher, I'm not a brackets guy, but I think Florida is like pretty safely in the field right now, but they're one of those teams that could drop pretty quick. Uh, a win like this would, would certainly lock them in. Um, but we'll, we'll see if they can make that happen because, 
again, the consistency has not been there. They've done the work they needed to do in the last two games at home against Vanderbilt and Arkansas, um, but a, a big closing stretch looms with Kentucky twice. They've got LSU and then road trips to Tennessee and Georgia. So they probably got to win at least two of the next five to get into the tournament, but beating Kentucky on the road would pretty much lock them in. Yeah, I think two of the next five is probably the right number there. I'm going to lock in Kentucky for this game, but two weeks from this game, I am calling it right now, Florida beats Kentucky. Uh, last game of the season, Kentucky already has the SEC wrapped up. Florida wins that game, but for this one, Kentucky wins handily. Oh, you're right. Next game here is Oregon at Arizona. Uh, this is a Ducks team. They're playing Arizona State tonight, so won't know the complete result of that one. Most of you will probably know the result. Uh, so not going to talk about that game, but we're here to talk about Oregon at Arizona. I like Arizona to kind of protect home court. They played them close back in the first matchup, I believe back in January, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. I think they find a way to win and pick up kind of a signature win on the season. Give me give me Oregon here because I think Arizona might be the most overrated team in the country. Uh, they just haven't done anything to deserve their lofty ranking, their lofty metrics. They beat a decent Illinois team at home. That's a game they probably should win if they're going to be a top 25 team. Maybe Colorado at home, again, top 25 team, probably should win that game. But they've been so disappointing. They've never had, in my mind at least, because they've never quite had that game where they make a statement that they're a true contender uh, and really shown their worth as, as, a, as a top five seed type club. So obviously the metrics are there. I'm still not a believer, uh, and I'll take Oregon uh, to find a way in this ball game. Obviously Peyton Pritchard, one of the more uh, – entertaining guards in the country. Just love how hard he plays. And, um, you know, they may be thin up front, but uh, this guard play I think will be enough to knock off um, the Wildcats. My thoughts on both these teams is that they're both pretty clear single-digit seeds. Both these teams suck, though. I'm not picking either one to make it past the second round. Yeah, they stink. Yeah, the next one here, Gonzaga at BYU. Uh, this is a spot where traditionally Gonzaga goes out and they're being doubted and the line is way too short and Gonzaga wins by 30. I'm going to call that to happen again. Interesting. Interesting. This is, this is a tough matchup for me. Um, I just think it is so hard to win in Provo. Like, there's something about playing in front of, like, 10,000 Mormons that makes it really difficult to win a college basketball game. And BYU could just have a game where they hit, like, 15 threes and win this one. I don't take Gonzaga, but I don't really feel comfortable about it. And BYU could, could certainly stake its case for, for a much better seed if they could win this ball game. Um, and they're a team that can really shoot the lights out. So, obviously, getting Yoli back will, will help them a lot in this game. They didn't have him in the first meeting. Yeah, I just think that, that if they can stroke the three and not get demolished on the inside, they've got a shot to win this ballgame. This could be the Mormon rule seed line, like the difference between maybe a six seed 
and a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament because if they win this game, they're probably at that six range in terms of seeding. If they lose, they're maybe eight, nine game, uh, looking at that type of seed. If, unless they beat Gonzaga in the, uh, WCC tournament. But if they're unable to do that, they might get stuck into an eight, nine game, uh, which of course with the Mormon rules and where they can't play on Sunday, uh, that would probably put them down to a 10 seed, which would be uh, unfortunate given that if they win this game, they're maybe a six. Yeah, it's, it's not very fair, certainly. But uh, obviously bigger things at play than just the uh, – bigger things at play, I should say, than just the, uh, just, just the tournament for them. And so obviously I would hope that, that this team is able to – uh, to get the seed that they deserve and it doesn't screw up. Because it, it's really unfair to everyone, right? If they get bumped down to, like, an 11 seed, because I know there's, like, like all the 9 seeds play on one day or something like that, like, if they get bumped down to an 11, like, that's super unfair to a 6 seed. That's to play, like, a 9 seed caliber team. So that whole debate is, is screwy, and hopefully it doesn't, you know, hurt anyone's chances and and everyone gets the seeds they deserve. Yeah, I think one thing the NCAA tournament should consider doing uh, is maybe moving back, like, let's say the South region, uh, they would go to, like, they're an eight seed, they would go to, uh, let's say the South region's played on Sunday, and they would go to St. Louis, which is a Thursday-Saturday rule. If BYU made it to the Elite Eight, uh, then you could maybe do, like, you play the Elite Eight game on a Monday the next day to, I guess, celebrate their deep run. Yeah, I agree. But the logistics don't quite work that way. Moving on, the next one, Penn State at Indiana. Uh, Indiana still has not completely collapsed like I was thinking they would, but I'm still going to take Penn State in this one. Uh, Give me the Nittany Lions to win handily. Yeah, I mean, I, I I still am not a believer in Indiana. Uh, they stink. They're no good. But they keep winning enough games that they're going to make the tournament at this point because they won a road game at Minnesota. Uh, they, they beat Iowa at home, which they needed to do. They're just they're just holding on. That's all they had to do. So unless they lose out, they're going to get in. I think they will they will get one. I do not think it will be this one. I think Penn State wins this one comfortably. Uh, not super believer in Penn State, but I believe in them on a different level than I believe in Iowa or Indiana, certainly. Yeah, Indiana is just Trace Jackson Davis is a stud. Just the rest of that roster is like a lot of blah, like nothing to see there. Trace Jackson Davis though is good, so we'll do a compliment sandwich with Indiana. Next game here is Rutgers at Wisconsin. Uh, this is a game that Rutgers, I think it, with a win, would secure uh, an at-large bid or at least be pretty much on the right side of the bubble going into uh, conference championship week. Give me Rutgers to win this game. We talked about Rutgers earlier, uh, how they really need to win one of these games. This is the game they win and help solidify their NCAA tournament bid. Yeah, I'm picking Rutgers. I love Rutgers. They're so fun. They're my they're my favorite 
probably a major team to watch. I know this one isn't in the trapezoid of terror, but uh big fan of big fan of, of the Scarlet Knights and everything Steve's doing there. So uh give me Rutgers. I'm just gonna root for them to steal one. Yeah, I always go with the rooting interest and everyone is rooting for Rutgers, except for the haters. Because some people don't like them. Who are the haters? I I'll, I'll say this. I have this one guy who DMs me. Uh, Rutgers sucks every game, whether they win or lose. I just can't imagine being the guy who picks on Rutgers. You know, like yeah. like what goes through your mind? That's like like I can I can troll any team in college basketball. I'm gonna troll the one that never makes the tournament. And their fans seem happy to do anything right. They play the right way. They grind you out. They're well coached. Like, 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 who's hating on the Gur man? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Pick on uh, Indiana or pick on Texas. Yeah, Indiana That's sucks. Tough. Indiana's annoying. Yeah. They have no guards. They're boring to watch. Archie's annoying. Can we pick on Indiana, man. Purdue, they they made the elite eight. They're all tough. Saying that uh, they're the Mackey Arena's the best home court in the world. Pick on Purdue. Don't pick on Rutgers. Uh, the next game I'm going to talk about is Maryland at the Ohio State University. Uh, I am going to go with Ohio State to win this one. They just lost uh, Iowa, so bounce back spot. Give me the Ohio State to win and in Maryland's terror on the road. It's going to be interesting. Really, really, really excited to see this one play out. I think it's tough for tough to pick against Ohio State on their home court, but Maryland's starting to play better, starting to inspire some confidence. This feels like the ripe, like, letdown game for Maryland. You know, like, right when everyone thinks, oh, maybe they're a contender. Nope, they lose to Ohio State. You know, like I could see that happening for sure. So I'll, I'll pick I'll pick Ohio State here. Obviously, Maryland, uh, probably the better team, but Ohio State on their home court finds a way to get the dub. With that said, if Maryland can win this game, they're basically a shoe in to win the Big Ten regular season title. Uh, so if they're they're able to do that, they have definitely a leg up and are probably locked in to be the Big Ten champions this year. Yes. Next and final game of the weekend, Butler at Creighton. Creighton has been playing lights out. Butler just got Aaron Thompson back. Uh, they won the first matchup handily. I'm going to go with the upset. Butler on the road beats Creighton. Uh, curious to see your pick, though. I love this Creighton team, man. I mean, they're they're just so fun to watch there. They're a terrific guard. I think the thing that gets forgotten about with, with this Creighton team is is how much a factor Tyshawn Alexander can be defensively. Uh, and especially when it's a perfect example of a guy who does when he doesn't have to carry the load offensively, he could be so much more impactful as a player than when he's the number one option. He's really grown in that department because they have a Marcus Zigorowski who's really stepped up. They have Balak. They have some of these other guys, even Denzel Mahoney's hit some big shots for them. So he usually turned into his perimeter stopper, did a terrific job on Miles Powell. Uh, and so I love this, this Creighton team. I think they match up extremely well against Butler. Butler doesn't necessarily have the size inside to, to intimidate you. Um, they play really hard, obviously, but to me, Creighton, 
Creighton's shooting, Creighton's ball handling makes them just such a difficult team to guard. I just absolutely love watching uh, the Blue Jays play, and I'll pick them to take this contest. Yeah, that's probably the safe and smart pick in this one. Butler would be on the bubble if uh, we had the uh, good old 500 in conference play record, which some people actually think that's a good idea. Yeah, which the dumb it, idea. It is the dumbest idea because you get a team like Butler, let's say goes eight and ten in the Big East, uh, but has clear like right now Butler's at worst a five seed resume. If they go eight and ten, they're probably still like a seven seed at worst, and people just think, oh well, uh, they didn't go. 500 in league play, don't let them in. Well, then you're putting South Carolina in. Does anyone want to see South Carolina make the NCAA tournament? Uh, Brian Ralph probably does. That's about it. People feel the need, and this is something that I'll rant about in any context of life, but uh, specifically in college basketball, like people feel the need to put a rule and try to try to define rules for everything. And sometimes we just need to use logic, right? Like, Logically speaking, a team with 15 or 16 losses may not be deserving of an NCAA tournament berth. And you should be able to see that because you're an intelligent person if you're on a selection committee. Because that means you're an athletic director. You presumably uh, have, have significant athletic uh, administration experience. You should understand that a team that goes 18 and 15 is probably not very good. But if that 18 and 15 team you know, has good metrics past the eye test, dare I say has a good WOB, you know, they should, they should be considered for the NCAA tournament. And a team, we don't need to say, okay, if you have a bad record, if you, if you have a, if you have a below 500 conference, conference record, you can't get into the tournament. There's just no reason to put a label on it. All it does is unnecessary disqualify teams. It would disqualify like several Big Ten teams that are very good, and it would just force in teams that are less deserving. Uh, you know, I, I am not a fan of this idea that you would just take WOB and use it to, uh, to fill an entire NCAA tournament field. That said, I would prefer that to leaving several deserving teams out every year just because of a rule that says they have to be 500 or better. Both those rules would just be terrible for the game of college basketball. Uh, using one metric to decide is, you know, taking out subjectivity, which is a big, you know, term I've used with, uh, Certain people on Twitter, you, you, you want the ability to look at a certain loss in, like, the example Eric brought up on Tuesday, uh, was Minnesota two years ago. Minnesota in 2018, when they started the season, was a top 15 team. They were playing like a top 15 team. Then, uh, one player, uh, gets kicked off the team for, uh, we, something we don't really want to discuss on this podcast. One player tears his ACL, and all of a sudden Minnesota's a quad-four loss for a team like Province, who played them early in the season. Imagine if Province gets left out because they lose that game. Uh, that's the that's my kind of biggest complaint about this whole WAB discussion. Well, don't allow Seth Byrne to hear that, because you're not allowed to have another opinion than him. It's fact, it's it's impossible. If you do, you're an idiot. You're wrong. You don't understand. Um, but regardless, no, it's like 
the the entire concept of having one number decide the entire tournament selection is absolutely ridiculous. And the first example of why you shouldn't do that is the BCS in college football. Everyone hated the BCS because it just spit out the teams and people like, well, this stinks. There's bias in any number. So because of who makes the number, just like there's subjectivity in a, in a conference, uh, in, a, in, a, in a situation when people come together and talk about who's the best team. There's bias in every single set of, of things you do. So in my mind, it doesn't make any sense to, to, to lift it all into to one metric. Trust the people with eyes to determine. Now, obviously, you shouldn't just be sitting there willy-nilly saying, gee, I think Northern Iowa's good. They should get in. Gee, I think Indiana stinks. They shouldn't get in. Like, that makes no sense. But you should be able to use a number like wins above bubble, which is a certainly impactful metric, and I think something that should be in the room with the selection committee, and strength of record already is, which is a very similar metric. Um, but essentially, use a number, use that number in co- in conjunction with predictive metrics like Ken Palm, like Haslam metrics, and with results-based metrics like, um, you know, KPI. Take all of those things cook them together, and then add in that eye test component that, that can, you know, break ties, that can, uh, you know, provide clarity to a situation that is un- inherently unclear, like that Regulant situation. Like, that's the way we should be going about this and not trying to find one way that solves every problem because there's just no way of solving every problem. You're just going to – someone's always going to be upset. Yeah, and the main factor is if you're a team that – you know, needs wins above bubble to be in the NCAA tournament. You didn't earn the ability to be in the NCAA tournament by the way it is uh, set up. So you you shouldn't be uh, complaining if the eye test says Steve F. Austin in uh, all the metrics as well say Steve F. Austin isn't a you know top even uh, seventy five team. Uh, but wins above bubble says they are. Uh, you should just use wins above bubble to say Stephen F. Austin is a tournament team uh, when they, on paper, don't look like an NCAA tournament team. Sure, they could win a game in the NCAA tournament this year, uh, but they don't look like an at-large caliber team. I just find it humorous that if you – my understanding was that if you if you took – um, the Duke game and the A&M Corpus Christi game out for Stephen F. Austin. Like, if you took that those two games out of the mix, um, that Stephen F. Austin would still be in the tournament by winning a, a bunch of games against horrible teams and then losing to two good teams because their record would essentially be exactly what a bubble team would be expected to do, which is lose two road games to other bubble teams and then win all the games against bye games. And they'd be like slightly above that because the buy game, because since the bubble team would have like a 95% chance of winning every buy game, like those, those games against horrible teams, like technically you'd be supposed to lose one after a while and Stephen F. Austin hadn't. And I was like, like that argument to me is as ridiculous as saying Stephen F. Austin being, because I think a team like Stephen F. Austin should get rewarded to a certain extent for, for what they've done and their ability to, um, to, to win a game at Duke. And I think they deserve to be in the conversation if they only lose the one more time, but it's, it's it's just ridiculous that we would just decide to throw out everything we do just to have one number that is, you know, potentially not perfect and just say, hey, this is how we're going to do it now. We're going to abandon everything we know about sports. And I, I just I just disagree with the argument. Uh, me and Seth are just going to have to agree to disagree. There's a lot of really smart people who are big WAB backers. 
Uh, and I, I, I don't blame them for it. It's just not the way I would go about things. Yeah, it, every you know metric has its biases in it. Uh, certainly this metric looks good on paper, but there's certain components that you know aren't completely uh, without bias when it comes to the way it is set up you know to select the NCAA tournament this year. Agreed. And going back to the other point, if you go eight and ten in the Big East, you should be able to make the NCAA tournament because if you let's say go thirteen and zero and have seventeen quadrant one wins on your resume, why would you not take that team into the NCAA tournament because they go eight and ten in a league like the Big East, a league like the Big Twelve, which has traditionally been good. It just makes absolutely no sense. 100%. 100%. Well, Kevin, we made it over an hour. Uh, any last thing to plug? Uh, no, nothing major. It's, it's going to be an exciting couple months for me. It's going to be a, a scramble. Uh, we'll be, you know, obviously contributing with my podcast and then, uh, I'll have my March coverage. Not exactly sure where that will be yet, whether that will be with CB Central or on SI. Uh, but regardless, that's, it's going to be really exciting. I'm hoping to, uh, to, to head out to the MAC tournament in Atlantic City, uh, the second weekend in March. So that'll be an exciting thing that I'll, I'll, I'll get to cover and, and be around that, that really fun event. You know, see some family as well. Obviously a, a big one. If you know me, uh, the, the Mac is a big part of my, my college basketball experience. So, uh, hopefully, uh, you enjoy my content at CBB Central and uh, at CBB underscore Central on Twitter, CBBcentral.com and the CBB Central podcast with me and Brad on, uh, on Apple, Spotify, et cetera. So, uh, thanks for, thanks for having me. Thanks again for coming on. Go Saints. Uh, I'd like to yes, see sir. Dylan Pickett in the NCAA tournament, uh, even if it is a 16 versus one matchup. I think he could maybe do a little bit of damage against, let's say, a Baylor uh, in the big dance this year. I would, I would, I would love that. The final score would be like fifty to thirty because both teams play at such a slow tempo, and neither team is excellent at scoring the ball. But it would be a fun matchup to have in the NCAA tournament this year. Oh yeah, it it would be it would be super fantastic, and it would be fun just to have have Jalen in the tournament. Just a, a guy who gets a lot of of buzz nationally as a mid major star. Uh, it would be fun to see him in in that stage, and you know he'd be ready for it. He'd probably have like six threes and keep Sienna in it. Yeah, it would be exciting to see that. Follow Kevin on Twitter at CBB Central. Uh, check out his website cbbcentral.com. He had a really good piece on uh, freshman talent uh, that was put out earlier this week so go read that and thanks again for tuning in to the making the madness college basketball podcast